Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview Gordon Waddington, the co-founder of Prism Euro. Uh, we also have Elizabeth McGrath, uh, who's the CEO and co-founder of Prism Euro. So Elizabeth and Gordon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Julian. No problem. So, hey, so what I want to talk to you, uh, for you guys today is first we'll talk about your background and then we'll obviously cover your company, your product, how you got the idea. And then we'll we'll go over the benefits uh, for teams and athletes to use your product. And then we'll talk about your business model as well as your plans for the next 12 months. How does it sound? Sounds good. Sounds good. Great. So, uh, so first question is, could you start by uh, summarizing your background? Sure. So my background is as an engineer. So I'm a biomedical engineer by training. Yeah. And I did my PhD research at the Naval Aerospace Medical Research Lab in Pensacola, Florida. And while I was there, I was working on a fighter pilot selection. And one of the things that's really important for pilots, and especially fighter pilots, because of the G's they pull and the maneuvers they do, is spatial awareness. Yeah. And spatial awareness comes from um, primarily your visual and vestibular system. And that gives you information about what's going on around you. And also, it gives you information about what your own body is doing mm-hmm. in that context. So. It's really important for pilots to have excellent spatial awareness. So we were designing tests Because they can get sick in the plane? They can get sick when they are in the they, plane? Exactly, exactly. Okay. Well, sickness is one thing, but awareness, um, because of the G-forces they pull, yeah. they, their brain can be tricked into thinking they're in a different position than what they're mm. actually in. And so... Pilots that have excellent spatial awareness uh, are a better place to perform in that environment. So we were looking at ways to identify pilots that have that skill. Mm -hmm. But uh, we also recognize that the visual and vestibular, while massively important, wasn't the whole picture. Okay. And we looked at other ways of measuring another really important sensory input and that's the somatosensory system and that's the the awareness of the body's actual position so less in the brain and more about the body but that was something that we weren't um really focused on though we had an awareness of it okay and so that is the the segue in the cube to to hand over to gordon (laughs) so very well done. So, yeah, so my background is um, I started out as a physiotherapist, physical therapist. Yeah. Um, and um, in fact, and it's sort of um, 
be in that clinical space for a long time, particularly focusing on lower limb injury and recovery of function in the lower limbs. Um, and actually 23, would you believe now, Mark's 30 years of, of clinical and research work in this space for me, which is a bit of a shock horror number, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my focus has been very much, as Elizabeth suggested, on that periphery and how information transfers back to the periphery. Um, I think historically we've, uh, in the broader process around what we've looked at in, in sort of like targeting these sort of things, we've, we've focused on um, strength in recovery, cardiovascular recovery, uh, flexibility, those sorts of things, which are all sort of about the engine, uh, the motor system, not so much about the, the, the sensory and the receptor system. And some really interesting things have come out over the years in that space. We now know, for instance, that approximately uh, 97, no, sorry, 93% of the nerves, nerve, um, nerve trunks coming back through to the brain mm -hmm. are bringing back um, information from, you know, from the periphery. Only about 7% is the actual motor control. So the way I look at that is it's a bit like having a high performance car when we're talking about an athlete with a dirty window, with a dirty windscreen. You can do all the work you like. Um, on, the, on, that, on that engine and, and push it as fast as you can. But unless the control systems are working really well, that's, that's, you know, that's still a big factor in terms of performance. So where we are now, we linked in with um, um, the work Elizabeth's done in that space. And now we've got the capacity to look at the three systems that keep us upright and keep us mobile, the vestibular system, the visual system, and the somatosensory system. And like many of these things, it, it comes down to in science, if you can't see it, it doesn't get investigated. And so, you know, building the, the tools to actually measure things like the somatosensory, the proprioceptive system in, in the periphery, that's been uh, certainly started out in the focus of my reach, my research, and that's built over the years to what we have now, which is um, a validated system for measuring in that space. Okay. And, and at what stage of the product are you at the, uh, and I, and I'm sorry for the question, but are you at the MVP stage? Are you at the commercialization stage? Or what stage are you guys at right now? So right now we're in a pilot program yeah. with beta prototype systems out in the field with pilot customers. So we're very close to launching commercially. Okay. We, we're having a lot of great success, great feedback from the pilot trials that we've got going on. And the customers that we're with, including elite teams, mm -hmm. um, Olympic teams, uh actually we're doing some space research with mit nice. because it's really important for astronauts as well yeah um and we are, we're also involved in um, a clinical trial because this is not just for elite athletes right movement control is important for everybody yeah and so well, that that's makes... where we're at and so when are you guys looking to launch a product ideally so commercially in 2024 we okay. still have um, availability for a few pilot customers in our trial. So, um, yeah, we'd love to get a few different types of sports on board. Well, maybe I can help, uh, but would, would that be in the first half or second half of 2024? So in the, oh, for commercial launch? Yes. Yeah, second half. Second half, okay. Uh, and it's going to be a global launch, I assume. So first, um, it will be primarily in the U.S. U.S. focused, okay, and then into Europe after that. Okay, great. Um, now you talk about the product. 
Now, it's funny, the first time I came across you guys, I was at the NBA Summer League, right? And I sent over a link to one of my buddies who worked in the NBA for, I think, about like 15 years. And he was like, this is super intriguing. Of all the companies that we profile, because we did a recap on the NBA Summer League, it was like, I, I, I like it, but I don't quite understand what, how it works. And I'm assuming it's because you kind of want to keep it vague right now. Um, that's, what I, that's what I'm guessing. Is that correct? Yeah, to a certain extent. We, um, well, the way it works is it's, a, it's two five-minute tests. And what we're measuring is we're measuring the function of those neurosensory pathways. So your visual system, vestibular system, proprioceptive system. Yeah. Because those systems provide feedback to your brain to let your brain calculate a movement. Mm -hmm. And if those, as Gordon said, you know, it's like a dirty windscreen. If you, if you're getting fu fuzzy information or not accurate information back yeah. from those systems, yeah. then the motor signals are going to be less accurate. Now, so can you, we're, yeah. me we're measuring the functionality. I don't know if Gordon wants to add anything to that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is quite a step change different from the conventional biomechanics physiology process. It is the, the, the technical area of psychophysics. So how the brain perceives um, um, its response to, to changes in the physical world around it. So mm -hmm. we're using psychophysics measures for lower limb perception for the somatosensory side of it. Um, and, and the visual vestibular um, utilizes um, very standard types of psychophysics there that have been established for a long time in Elizabeth's space. Um, it's the combination of those that's different. And the reality is basically nobody is doing what we're doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. There is, yes, a bit of a, a bit of a fuzziness around it um, in that sense. Very yeah. happy to share it specifically with people as in the process, but obviously trying to keep a um, keep things under the bonnet a tiny bit yeah. um, to keep that momentum. So I, so I, so I guess I, I want to ask you about maybe the form factor and that kind of question right okay so what would you say are the benefits right for teams to use it and in what what is the use case so i understand rehabilitation is one use case right are there any other use cases that a team or an athlete in a team setting can use your product or will be able to use it uh, go ahead garden yep so the, the 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 second major space is the outcome measures are highly associated with uh uh, physical performance and talent. So the pathway process, identifying athletes in your pathway, mm -hmm. um, individuals who score highly on these metrics, uh, and, and you know, we have both the cross-sectional and longitudinal data in that space, mm -hmm. tend to be the ones who are going to be the higher performing athletes in the future based on their physical capacity. Sure, you can't take into account whether the person's got the right psychological approach, you know, whether they've got the the family to take them to and from training and all those sorts mm -hmm. of things and the resources to do that. But if you're actually looking at uh, being able to start to separate those individuals coming into academies, particularly at that academy level where they've already been, um, um, you know, there's some self-select, some natural selection process has gone on, that's particularly of use. And that's where we're doing it. And I'm, I'm talking to you today from the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, yeah. That's particularly where there's a lot of interest in that, where we don't have a lot of athletes in those spaces and we've got to make really good decisions. Um, what the measure does is it actually it actually starts to give you an idea of what that person's history is, whether they've had injury. We obviously can't specifically identify that, but your history of injury contributes to your current state of performance I and see. your history of how well that injury has been rehabbed through this. Um, if it healed properly, and if it healed properly, re 
Yeah, yeah. That's, that makes a big difference as well. So obviously we can't specifically say you had an injury back 60 years ago yeah. on such and such a date. But what, where you are now is the accumulation of all of that backstory to your system. But some, can, I just, what we're can I just jump in real quick? It's, so it's more than just healing properly uh -huh. because yeah. when these athletes are in elite pathways, so they are, most of them, able to access world-class rehab to yeah. ensure that the, you know, the muscle is back, the bones set, and, you know, they can, the physical performance measures are up to scratch, yep. you know, speed and jump and cut and all of that. But it's this neural connection, the brain-body connection, where the brain sending neural signals and reading neural signals from the body that might not have recovered fully. That's what we're tapping into. And because you're saying there's not, they don't have any tools right now to see and assess to measure that that's yeah right. okay so we're and, and one of the problems with um, human brains and of course the wonderful advantage of human brains is that plasticity because the brain can continually change yeah. if for a period of time after an injury you change the, the input systems then the synapses change centrally the model changes and that then can become set in the system and so that that's um that's what we can start to get a global picture of with this sort of this sort of um uh, assessment okay uh and what has been if you're allowed to share but what has been the biggest feedback that you got from teams so far maybe on your pilot program what are the things that they like the most for example not specifically but what did they like the most about your product i guess without maybe being specific about a team but just general feedback you know just general feedback the insight that they're getting from this new source of information yeah that they didn't previously have. Okay. So it's giving them some additional understanding about their athletes and, and being able to manage them with this additional data stream. And maybe when they've gone, they've seen some athletes maybe going back from injury, rehabilitation, and they couldn't quite figure out what, what, what was wrong or how come he wasn't fully recovered maybe, right? It allows another window into the complexity of what that recovery looks like. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and the and athletes, the athletes are really, it's interesting. We were just, um, we were just testing somebody last day too, who was chatting about the fact that um, I won't name names because I haven't got, got permission, but um, you know, really appreciated that she could see her change uh, happening mm -hmm. uh, and, and get some sort of metric on that, which is interesting. So, so my, my next question, her progress. Actually, yeah, yeah go, progress. Yeah, but I guess my, my next question is, okay, Let's say now you understand what's not going right with that athlete, right? But what do you do after that? As as a head of rehabilitation or physical yep. therapist, right? Yep. Yep, yep. And we've been working so, in that space. Yeah. Gordon's absolutely. the physio, so I'll let him okay. address ab this one. Ab absolutely. <laughs> so um, again, looking at what other things we can do using that, that model um, to improve that, um, improve those scores. We know we've, we've been um, very lucky to be able to do some fairly large cohort groups with some defence um, personnel, in, um, not, uh, in, as, as it turns out, in Israel. Um, and um, we're able to show thresholds below which, if you fall below a certain target number on the outputs, yeah. you will actually have a substantially increased risk of, of subsequent injury within the next 12 weeks. In a way, there's nothing new about that because we know that certain that there's a there is a there is a subsequent injury risk in all populations, uh, yeah. sorry, a, a future injury risk, and we know, know that. 
But what's really nice about this is it correlates strongly with these out output scores, which means you can take a group of people you've never seen before, measure them and get a good indication who's going to be at risk. But similarly, you know, up to about 20% of people who just go through a normal injury process, they will also crash these scores. Mm -hmm. And again, we don't know the exact what's going on in the brain there. I suspect it sits around this, this, this plasticity. So then the target process that we're looking at here is very much directed at combining, um, well, at a combination of, if you like, motor imagery and, and targeted recovery programs that look at reactivating those pathways. And we have got um, 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 some uh, stuff in that space to do exactly that. And we can improve those scores. Okay, I want to ask you also, <clears throat> so if you use that product in the case of rehabilitation, right, can it be yep. used across, so an athlete who has an ACL injury, an athlete who has a concussion, I mean, is it pretty broad? Absolutely. The, the, if you think of this as being uh, an estimate of measure of change in the central nervous system, yeah. rather, than, rather than just something that's happening out in the periphery or just something that's happening at the eye. It's the, fun, it's the fundamental control system for the whole of movement that we're tapping into. And that's, that's critical then in that, in that sense. It doesn't really matter what the injury is. And your subsequent, your status now is, you know, if you had a hip injury, if you had an ACL injury, uh, you'll see side to side differences, left, right yeah. differences, you know, substantial differences. Uh, even though the brain attached is the same brain operating left and right legs, you see big, you know, those sort of performance differences, which could potentially contribute to a, a future injury. So yes, it applies, and it does to, as to concussion as well. Concussion again, um, concussion is a very interesting one because obviously, you know, it's a it's obviously a very top of the um, top of everybody's minds in the in yeah. the collision and contact sports these days. Um, but absolutely, what you're doing is disturbing that central um, central structure of the brain for a period of time. Yeah, you're taking out certain pathways of feedback for a certain period of time, and you've got to look at re um, re, you know, reactivating that process. So it's very much a, um, when I started out in physio, it was all about mechanical things. You pushed on things, you got people to stretch things, you got people to you know, load weights. This whole idea that it's, it's really a focus on the neural system and the neural control system. Um, and of course, the technologies that we have now allow us to do that in ways that we couldn't possibly have even thought of five mm -hmm. or 10 years ago. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, for example, my friend, one of my friends did a rehabilitation for Kevin Durant when he was at the Brooklyn Nets. So is that something that he could have used potentially? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So so we have here at the IRS a, a, a thing called the Intensive Rehab Program. Yeah. Um, and again, um, what happens with that is if an athlete's under the national program here who's a potential Olympic athlete and they get injured, somewhere out in regional Australia, they can come here to Canberra to the AS to undertake an intensive rehab program. And as part of that, we, we provide information as to what's happening across those systems and look at what can be done in a targeted way that augments, um, augments what, what the physios and the sports medicine docs are doing here um, at the same time. Okay. And so yes, as an individual, yes. Sorry. I think it's important to just make the, the statement that other researchers, not us because it's not our space, but other researchers are currently studying changes in the gray matter of the brain mm -hmm. that result after injuries. So, for example, an ankle injury can result in a ACL. lessening or an ACL can result in a 
shrinkage, if you will, of gray matter. Mm -hmm. And that's been demonstrated through MRI studies. So what, what we're about is the functional implications for that, right? So, okay, your brain had something happen to it, but how does it affect your movement, your athletic abilities? And can we get those systems up and running again? That's, that's the core of it. Yeah, I think it's almost like a gray area, right? I think it's very misunderstood. It sounds like. Yeah, well, it's, it's new. I always, right. I, I agree. I think it's one of those things, if you look more broadly in, in the whole healthcare medicine space, um, you know, it's, if you couldn't see it on x-ray at one stage, it didn't exist. Now, if you can't see it on MR, it doesn't exist. Right. So each, so it's each like time I have hypertension, develop, right? People can't see hypertension. I, I can't tell. That's right. Right? Yeah. yeah Until you've got exactly. the right set of tests that correlate with that and provide that you can't you can't tell yeah. so and that's particularly the case in the sports way we can see your strength in muscle we because you can lift something heavier we can yeah. see you run faster doesn't necessarily mean that the control system is picked up at the same rate particularly evident is the fact that you'll have one leg completely different from the other mm -hmm. and yet yet the brain is the same brain attached so yeah that's and that oh, it's a really good point elizabeth there's um that's that evidence in the neurosciences and imaging where things like the cerebellar and the motor cortex spaces have been, you, know, you can see substantial shifts in size of those um, after things, particularly like ACLs, the longer you are in rehab, often the worse that shift in brains, brain cross-sectional areas. And the person wouldn't know that you can't, and there's no cognitive difference. There's no, you know, in that sense. Well, and also I'm thinking if you can have a way to correct what's not working, the connection between the brain and you know, then you can potentially help reduce injuries, future injuries, right? Yes, and that's the big space that we're that, that subsequent injury picture is is trying to identify and effectively identify that athlete who's got those decrements. Yeah, uh, minimize and 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 yeah, reverse that. Yes, yeah, so and the evidence shows that athletes who are injured are more likely to be right. re-injured. Yeah people are starting to recognize this is probably one of the underlying causes of that re-injury. And even um, even concussion yeah. can lead to further injury in, the, in the body and musculoskeletal injury. And what's really coming out now is that it is the motor control pathways that are affected, that mm -hmm. the concussions affecting visual and vestibular especially, but also other regions of the brain. And that's not being fully monitored for recovery Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not, so that's 80, where we can help. not much yeah. out there, right? To do that. So not, not in, I suppose, roughly 80% of your injury burden costs in, in a um, team environment will come from only 20% of your players. And they're the ones that get re-injured. And, and, and um, what in the pilot that you guys are doing. So we work. so one of our focus is on female athletes and teams. For example, uh, we have a relationship with the New York Liberty, right? WNBA team or the, some national Swiss, I'm sorry, national women's soccer team, right? And which, you know, there's not a lot of research done on women, women athletes, right? It's like 9% of all the research out there, which is very small. I mean, in the pilot that you guys have done, have you also worked with some women's team to understand because, the, you know, it's very different, right? The physiology is very different. It, it is very different. However, the neurophysiology like, is not very different. In fact, yeah. <laughs> okay. we're working on a, yeah. on a submission for a... Um, a conference just okay. yesterday on this topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Gordon. <laughs> yes. The, I mean, as Elizabeth said, interestingly, obviously, you know, the, the impact of um, 
you know, hormonal exposure and so on will have big yeah. differences in size, bone strength, muscle volume, cardiovascular and so on. However, the actual neural function does appear to be we're consistent and we're very carefully watching that now. We're, wherever we do group studies, we make sure we've got male and female sure. equivalent numbers so that we can actually separate any possible um, 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 any, any possible differences there. And consistently, we're seeing that these neurological pictures are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. And it sort of makes sense that the, that's the system would be, yeah. um, doesn't necessarily have to be different. Yeah. Um, obviously, external tissue strength and things like that will have an impact on downstream mm-hmm. things like injury. But in terms of the control system, uh, and particularly when you factor out strength and speed type factors, males and females tend to be pretty much the same in terms of yeah. performance ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only when you run into the requirement of strength and power that we that it starts to separate. So it's an interesting question, but it's it's highly valid. Um, okay. And and we're very very focused on that in Australia and trying to you know, to up our up our game in terms of the the data collected for women's sport. Yeah. And the FIFA I think just recently uh, just announced a new initiative, right? Focusing on women's. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That, which I think will help, and then the WNBA, now they're looking for technology for women, which I think will help too. Um, yeah. So, a, a next question I want to ask you is, and I, maybe you touch on that, but how would you summarize your competitive advantage today, or what you're doing, as far as the product, the solution? What would you say? Well, we're doing something that no one else is doing, yeah. and we're providing information that's not available from any other source, and it's proving in our pilot engagements to mm-hmm. add value and it, it is something that's been supported through research for a very long time yeah and just as gordon said it's a step change and maybe not embraced fully but we're the first company to put this all together and make it accessible okay that makes sense um mike with, mike with the assessment and the intervention it's both because you're absolutely right julian one of the very first things that happened i know was every time i started talking about this people said that's great you can tell me what's going wrong but what do i do about it right. that's what the that's what the clinician wants what do i do about it doesn't yeah. really matter if you tell me something's wrong if i can't do something about it and i can't get onto it straight away particularly in the high performance space because you want to get onto it yesterday mm-hmm. um it's that's absolutely critical but i agree as, as elizabeth says at the moment in this particular uh, space um there is nobody else doing um doing what we're doing okay and, and also i had a, a thought uh, <clears throat> one day i was talking to um an nba team I, I won't say who that was but they said look we've got a very quick a few minutes assessment we can know if this athlete is ready to play the next game now you guys are focusing on rehabilitation you can use it for scouting from what i understand could that be also used to know is that player ready to play the next game Potentially. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Because so, we know we sorry, you go, Elizabeth. Oh, I just wanted to say that there is no one quick test that's going to answer all of the questions about right. whether an athlete is ready to play. There are, you know, it's multifaceted because you do need to make sure that the muscle strength is recovered. Yep. You do need to make sure that um that this movement control is also recovered. It's not just you know, one thing, athletes are quite yeah. complex. Go ahead, Gordon, sorry. Yeah, and, and, and my addition to that was um, assuming that you've got all of those things in place. And that's one of, the, one of the tricky things in the high performance rehab space where we see 
all of those things seem to be ticked. Those boxes seem to be ticked, but the athlete yeah. goes back and two weeks later, they injure themselves again. Yeah. So what was missed in that space? So where we perceive ourselves as fitting in there is in that high performance space when, when the, the strength and conditioning team feel they've got back up to there, the athlete tends to feel that they're in that space. But if we're still seeing decrements on, on those scores below some of those thresholds, we know that statistically there's a very elevated risk. So then it's, then it's um, well, hopefully we wouldn't be coming in right at the end. Obviously we'd be coming in as soon as they're injured and looking at, at, at yeah. focusing on on this this aspect as well. So by the time all of this comes together, you're actually in a better place for getting that, that player back. It does it does come a little bit towards this idea of personalized medicine. Mm -hmm. But you know it, it, the three of us here will, would end up with slight with a similar injury with a say a grade two ankle sprain. We'll yeah. all end up coming back at slightly different times based on those those sort of measures, based on how our how our brain responds as well as the as well as the standard physical response. And another question I had was, I'm sure teams will ask the same question, will ask you the same question, but if you think for rehabilitation purposes, how often do you have to use it with an athlete? Is it a matter of every week, or every day? Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> so, so for following through on a rehab process, the actual assessment side of it is, is effective once a week, just to yeah. give you an indication of direction of change. The, the actual rehab side, with the rehab tools is two to three times a week on top of the, the standard protocol. Yeah. Um, two to three times a week, looking at about a total of 10, somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes, depending on the process with the athlete. There's act, it's actually quite powerful when you're actually getting the coordinated, um, uh, mm -hmm. coordinated rehab aspect of it. I'm assuming that they're doing well. One of the things that we're constantly told by teams is, yeah, we're, we're, we'd love to have something extra in there, but it's got to take no time at all. <laughs> and as I'm sure you've heard with teams, yeah. uh, and it's got to fit in on the schedule of whatever, whatever else they're doing. Um, so it's quite a bit of work in terms of fine tuning what's, and, and obviously there's from the evidence in the literature as well, not just our work, um, but combining that, but yeah. So it's, it's a relatively low touch, um, um, but it is, um, it does take uh, two to three sessions a week as part of that, the, the actual training program, but only once a week with the assessment. Assessment takes about 10 minutes. And then so that the teams can use, so you have to train them on how to use the device and then after that, they know how to use it on their own or? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's very, very straightforward. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, obviously you went to the NBA Summer League, right? You talked to some NBA team, I'm sure. Uh, is that device particularly tethered for specific sports or it can be used across hockey, soccer, basketball, rugby, anything? You're right, and you just mentioned some some of the sports we we were already working with. Yeah. So, okay. Um, yeah, it's valid yeah. for for all athletes. You basically, I mean, in essence, you you know, obviously it's not quite the same machine, but the same machine is, is used for astronaut pre-flight testing. Yeah. Um, is used for um, here. It's been used for triathletes, hockey players, you know, basketballers, rugby players, um, swimmers. Divers, yeah. divers, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, do you see yeah. more traction in specific sports, or no difference? No, at the at the present time, we are limiting access, yeah, to our systems, and we're you know carefully selecting the, mm -hmm. the partners that we want to work with because we want to validate it across a, a range of different scenarios. So, yeah, um, I can't can't really answer whether we have more traction with certain sports. Yeah. 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 
Uh, now, could you, so obviously your project is not launched yet. You mentioned next year, second half. Uh, are you allowed to talk about the business model at that point? Or what are you thinking about? So basically it's a hardware enabled SaaS business model because yeah. the, the product, our main product, the testing system is really about the data that it generates. Yeah. So the business model is that the equipment is uh, an upfront purchase, and then it's used through uh, license to our cloud for the testing and the analytics. So and that allows. Go ahead. So you yeah. buy the it's a, the hardware as a capex, and then if you want yes. to get analytics, there's a SaaS subscription. Is that correct? It's required. So the okay. the the um, annual license is required to okay. run the equipment and to get the data analytics. Yeah, makes sense. Um, that makes sense because otherwise you need to, yeah, I mean, you need to get some data, right? Otherwise, what's the point to use it? Right? Exactly. Uh, exactly. That's so the that, reason. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's not a new model, right? It's pretty common. Um, yes. So what would you say are your plans for the next 12 months? I mean, obviously you mentioned the product launch in the second half of next year. Are you looking at, you looking to raise some additional funding? Uh, do you have some other products coming up? I mean, what's, what's your plan? So yes, we're, we're working in the rehab space, as yeah. Gord mentioned, we do already have some rehab tools in, in trials. So we have a few more that we're, we're going to be developing as well. So we can launch those next year. Right. That's, that's our focus. And we will be looking to do a raise most likely starting in about six months time. Okay. Are you yeah. looking for investors in the States or anywhere? Primarily in the States. Okay. I think, yeah. Right. Well, you'll have a chance to meet some of them at our sports summit in New York. Cause we got a, some pretty well-known VCs over there in the sports tech world. So hopefully that yeah, should that's help. really uh, exciting. Yeah. Look forward to that. Great. Well, look, uh, you know, we are at the end of the podcast, but I want to thank you for your time today. Very exciting and good luck with everything. Thank you. Thanks thank Julian. You. Appreciate look it. Look forward to catching up in, the, in New York. In Sounds good. Yeah. Same here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.